This is the Zero Downside Podcast brought to you by MoabTexas.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Zero Downside with Mike and Dr. McKenna. And today we're going to be going over nerve ablation for knee pain and also discussing the science behind it, how it works, the ideal candidates, and then going into how we combine it with our regenerative therapies with peptides, bone marrow, amnion, kind of do it as a combined therapy, and then some patient experiences. And so I'm going to kind of let Mike take it off for our first portion segment. Absolutely. He already here said first, that. I, I want to point out that it feels like Hannah just gave us an outline on purpose to make sure you and I stay on topic. <laughs> I know. It's, it's almost like we have a reputation for, for not timing out the episode very right, well, it, right? It, it feels like that she purposely put the outline out there first so that she can give us the look. You so. know, and he, I mean, Mike already set my expectations that we'll probably lose track after segment two, I, but I feel like as long as we try, if there's four bullet points about. on a page and we got through two of them, it's a win. It's a win. Yeah. If, if I get through making <laughs> the things important that I wanted to be important out of it, and, and 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 everyone's not telling me to look at the clock the whole time. I think we're, <laughs> we're, we did okay. I like it. Um, well, hey, now that we've talked about staying on topic, let's go ahead and just <laughs> and try to do yeah. that. And just just push that aside for just a minute. Um, I know, Doctor McKenna. You know, we we have our pre-show meetings, and and one thing that we wanted to get across is the flow of the show. You know, how we're going to uh, address things and topics, and we want to be engaging for the viewer. We want to be engaging for our patients and our audience, and and part of hosting and, and being a part of a podcast like this is learning to engage your audience and, and give them information that's of value. And it's also entertaining. You know, So we want to show more of who we are. And I, I'd like for Dr. McKenna just to touch base on that. Yeah, because you know, so far I've hated every podcast. Um, <laughs> Come <laughs> so, on, not so, every one of them uh, has been I've terrible. Hated, I've hated 90% <laughs> of all of them. Um, but the, the parts that I, I like, because I know me, and I know that my goal is always to, uh, you know, you don't want to be an, the, the, the Instagram plastic surgeon that, oh, that all the other plastic surgeons think is an idiot. And, and you look at some guy doing some TikTok dance and think, oh, that's, you know, it's all marketing. He doesn't I mean, really you, know you what he's talking dance. about. dance. We've seen it. Oh, I got moves. You've yeah. got crazy moves. I have three daughters. I have moves. crazy moves. <laughs> I, I have moves across three generations of daughters. So um, now some of them go back to the 70s and 80s. So if you've seen old movies, you may recognize some of those dance moves. <laughs> I'll just say. Uh, no, oh, but Lord. from a serious standpoint, I, I, I work really hard to get as much information out on the table as possible. Mm -hmm. And my goal is always from a professional standpoint that I want to make sure people feel comfortable with my level of expertise. I, I, I'm hoping that that in these first few episodes, it's come across that we actually know what we're talking about. What I really wanted to do in those episodes was really, though, talk to patients and let them start to understand or get an in introduction to some of the technology and, and non-traditional approaches to care that are out there. I think we've already talked a lot about how our clinic works really hard to be technologically at the top of the of, of the heap as far as all the cool new toys. Um, I think we understand that I'm, you know, I, I'm not um, 
I think a lot a of non-doctor knowledge you know? comes in too because you're such a patient advocate. Like you want people to have the knowledge to make an educated decision because you just don't know what you're getting these days in a hokey, right. you know, regenerative I, I stem cell want the thing. To understand yeah, everything about what we're doing and why. Yeah, right? so we're really and so I work, I work really hard to, to educate the patient. Mm -hmm. My problem is I think that a lot of times when you're talking and you know other physicians are going to be watching it, I'm tr I'm used to lecturing to groups of physicians. I'm used to talking to residents, med students, um, teaching the procedures we do. I mean, there's mm -hmm. several of the procedures. You know, that's how Mike Have and I met. Very there's detailed. a shoulder <laughs> in instrumentation that I developed back in the day, and the only one doing them at the time in the country was the guy that developed it. And so we taught a lot of physicians how to do procedures. And so a lot of those more technical focused lectures are the pattern I, I tend to fall into when you put a mic in front of me. And, and that's not really, I don't, I don't want to talk above everyone's head from it. It's, it's not that someone's not smart. It's just, they're not maybe experienced in the same field we are. And so what I don't want to do is do a podcast to doctors about something they're going to hate anyway. Right. I mean, Western medicine is, does not espouse the approaches that we do that are patient centric. I think Western medicine is way focused on diseases and not health. And they're not focused. The patient really doesn't have a spot, right? They're, most physicians work for someone that tells them what to do. And those patients are looked at. I hate any business that refers to a patient as a client. I, I hate any. I, and I think that from a, a, a big pharma standpoint, you know, if they made people better, they lose all their clients. And so they, when they don't, they keep their clients because they continue to medicate them. So for me, I think that um, we try really hard to not do that. We try to focus on the health. So I think, it, long, long story short, I want to make it where people feel more, I want, I want the show to be more approachable to a layperson looking for help and, and to know that there is some non-traditional approaches out there that you're not going to find out about on Google, Bing, or Yahoo. You're not going to find out about from most of your family practice or internal medicine or orthopedic surgeons. But there is a big uprising, I think, and it's starting really on the family practice side, right? Not on the spe surgical specialty side. But there's a big uprising because I think that the family practice physicians um, and, and, and chiropractors and mm -hmm. nurse practitioners. The There's basis even of, dentists I've the, seen the, recently of uprise of just natural well, the people healing. That are, the people that are actually happen to approach people all the time. Yes. The ones that develop a doctor-patient relationship, mm -hmm. right? So you are probably way closer to your family practice doctor than you are your surgeon. You're probably way closer to your PA, the nurse practitioner, your chiropractor. The people you see more often are probably the ones that are more fed up with Western medicine than most patients are yet because they're limited in their approach to people. And so I think there's a huge move by that subset of, of medical professionals that is really looking hard on a patient's behalf because they know when they send someone to people that are taking care of them with that stereotypical flowchart of care, mm. that that doesn't work. And when they have to come back and see, and they're the ones who have to deal with the repercussions of it, right? They don't come back to the surgeon 50 times over a period of a year. But they may see their family practice doctor for chronic management of medications every month. And, and so I think that my job is more to expose people to an alternative thought process when it comes to healthcare problems. And if there is one, and, and usually, unfortunately, there is more than one, right? There are, there are plenty of alternatives outside of a total knee arthroplasty. Exactly. And speaking of one, 
Yeah, so I think that, nerve ablation is one of them yeah, that's that a lot of people we, don't know about. For sure, <laughs> uh, and and I think that the especially when we talk about total knee, I mean, there's there's a, a really significant lecture, and we talked about it last night, where I'm on a stage in Vienna um, with a, another orthopedic surgeon, and we're talking about um, bone marrow aspirate concentrate and and treating osteoarthritis and trying to prevent total knee arthroplasty. And that, and I know that lecture is out there on, on, on the internet, but there's one of the question and answer sessions. I think it's near the beginning because I, I was literally, I thought lightning was going to strike the guy next to me in a chair where we're trying to make the decision. The, the, the question from the audience is, how do you know that stem cells or bone marrow aspirate concentrate, let's define that term. You're taking your, my, uh, where do you source your graph? We source it from our patient in that instance, right? Now, is that sourced graph from you the best graph in the world? No, that's because if you're metabolically compromised or older, we're going to use some postnatal tissue graft to augment your bone marrow's ability to do what it wants to do. Okay, that we've covered that a lot. Hopefully you've got that by now. But the question from the audience is, when is it okay to talk about using bone marrow aspirate concentrate to treat osteoarthritis versus when is it time to replace the knee? And the answer from the first surgeon um, was, well, as the best joint replacement surgeon in the world, which I'm sitting next to him and we're speaking to 400 other doctors. And all I could think is, I'm scooting my chair over to the left a little bit when the lightning comes through. And he says, I just tell the patient, uh, and he's very you know, heavy, thick Italian accent. He says, I just tell the patient, um, we should do this. And if that doesn't work, we, we, I, I, I will tell you when it's time for me to replace your knee. And I was, I got shot. And, and it, now it's my turn to answer the question. Yeah, how do you and, follow that? Man, uh, well, <laughs> you, it's certainly not hard to see more human and approachable after yeah. that, right? So the in one way, the table set up for me pretty well. But in the other way, it's like, you know, I had to catch my breath a little bit first because what I wanted to do is reach the fork in front of me and stab myself in the eye. Yeah. But as the second best. As the second best. But, yeah. but, you know, we're speaking to 400 really renowned, you know, Eastern, Western, um, Middle East physicians in that room. And, and I said, well, in the US, I work really hard. And I think medicine has a history of being very paternalistic. And in the US, what we do is if someone for me, the total knee patient in my mind now is and I know you guys have heard this a million times is someone that hurts all the time, they're having to take narcotics, they they can't it hurts even at rest. So they have trouble getting rest and sleep. And that the nothing else helped. And I think that the nothing else helped is important because there are plenty of stones to turn before you talk about total knee arthroplasty. Do I think that total knee arthroplasty is a bad surgery? No, I developed the instrumentation to put in the knee that we use a really long time ago. And I'm, and I'm, I'm pleased with it. Um, do I think everyone needs a total knee? No. And, and so I think that the, there are plenty of people out there that they, they look at their x-rays and say they need a new knee. And when you talk to the patient, they're not even having nighttime pain. They're walking every day. Um, they're not even on narcotics. And my question to that patient is always, why in the world would you have a total knee arthroplasty 
thinking it's going to mildly improve things when it's a it's a six to nine month recovery for a lot of people and there's a risk of blood clot pneumonia heart attack stroke now i will tell you right out that's the surgery that made me want to be a doctor because i watched it change someone's life when i was 14 years old i watched it change someone really important in me's life my aunt lillian god rest her soul um who was more like my grandma because she's my grandma's sister and we, we were as a as a native american family at that time like your very big family core kind of thing um but she was one time at thanksgiving she said i'm just ready for god to call me home and i just remember it breaking my heart because it was she was having so much pain she couldn't walk and that was uh, over thanksgiving and then by that summer she had, had both knees replaced and she's running around she's gardening again she's got her whole life back and i just remember thinking man if you have to work what a great way to make a living like i want to do that right and and so but that was i didn't know surgical risk limitations patient decision making at that time I just thought it was a really cool surgery and a great outcome. So looking at nerve ablation, right? One of the questions I get when, when people ask me about it, which, you know, you're, you're in the room next to me, let's, let's ask the doctor, right? But uh, one of the questions I get is, okay, if I get nerve ablation, does that mean I can't bend my leg, right? Is that a motor nerve? Is it a sensory nerve? So can we, can we take a step yeah. back and, and discuss what nerve ablation is in this process as an intermediate step? Yeah, I think this is a, important because even when you talk to another doctor about this procedure, which we've done a lot of other doctors this procedure on, um, but because the, they didn't know about it, right? Um, and I think that the question is, am I gonna feel numb or what if, here's the biggest question with that. Does it make it not hurt so much that I'm gonna tear it up and not know? Hmm. No, if you need the procedure, it's because you hurt all the time anyway. If you hurt all the time anyway, and it's keeping you from doing things you wanna do, your only goal with surgery is make it not hurt so I can do stuff, right? I want it to not hurt and I want it to be functional. So the ablation that we talk about using radio frequency to ablate the sensory nerves around the knee is a 10 minute procedure. Um, now you need to be asleep because I'll tell you, I, we have this machine uh, in, in the office we have a, a private OR in the office with anesthesia. But my goal was, man, if I could figure out a way where we could do this for people without anesthesia, we could we could really help a lot of people. You know, there's some people that anesthesia doesn't want to put to sleep. There's some people that aren't healthy enough to be put to sleep. They're certainly not healthy enough for a total knee. Man, if I could find a way to do a block, do a genicular block, we'll do all this stuff. If I could do this procedure for someone that was awake, bam, like that may be all we do is just take away everyone's knee pain. We'll just stand on a street corner with this machine saying, pull your car up, right? I mean, that kind of a mentality. And so I stuck that probe, you know, we did my knee, prepped my knee out, stuck the probe in the, the, the hardest one to do is the one that's in the middle of the quad above the patella. So I stick the probe in and the machine has to go for two minutes and 45 seconds at four different sites. And, you know, we do, we have CRM visualization and we make sure, cause those four sites, it's, you can't just randomly pick where you're gonna put it. There's a very specific way to do the procedure. And I would never, I wouldn't, it's one of those procedures where I wouldn't wanna be in the first five, 10 someone did, right? I think that it's That's really, right? really hard. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's really hard to get the kind of results we get if you haven't done a lot of these. Hmm. So for for me, um, precision we, in this it's, is it's about the precision, right? Yeah. So we have CRM on the, we isolate where we're gonna be, I've marked the site, we do a pretty little block, we put the probe in. We did all that to me and I kind of get that probe down and I had to turn on the machine and I'm looking at the machine and I'm thinking, okay, if I can make it through, like we got four of these to do. All right, 
Ready? Go. And man, at a, about a minute and a half, I just thought there's no reason for me to not have an IV put in and go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> there was, it was, you, you tapped. Oh, yeah. I tapped out. Like, you know, Mike's a, Mike's a jujitsu guy. So he, you know, when he says he's tapping out, it's a big deal. Um, I, I tapped like about a minute and a half. I'm like, ah, oh, heck no. Like there's like, I'm out. That's about a minute um, and 20 seconds longer than I would have let you do that. Yeah. <laughs> <So you know. laughs> well, here, here, you know, again, I, I, the, one of the things I hate about my, on the other podcast, I say, here's the cool part a lot, but there are really, a, a, you say, to be here's the cool part. And yeah. what do I always tell patients? Yeah. Well, here's, here, <laughs> for me here, here, here's, here's mm. something really genuine. There are a lot of cool parts to what we do, yeah. right? And there's not a lot of cool parts left to being the patient going to the doctor. Mm. There's not a lot of cool parts left in medicine anymore for the physician if they're being told what to do by some standard protocol, you know, flow chart that's made by your boss who is owned and a part of the Western Medicine Institution that doesn't want to talk about anything that's not reimbursable, has a code, and that is, is, makes the system a lot of money. Well, this isn't one of those procedures because we thought insurance approval was a thing. As it turns back, a lot of patients get called back on. The hospital cash pay price for the procedure is around $15,000. That probe's around two grand. Why would someone charge $15,000? Well, because you're walking in their OR, because you're part of the hospital system, because it's a big deal. The, the cash price on that procedure done in a private OR with great anesthesia. It's a fraction of the cost. Well, well Way, it's silly not to think way. about it because you're probably honestly going to be paying the same even if your insurance does approve it you're going you're, you're to still pay gonna be, you're probably but they're paying. charging that's your how, insurance that's how we worked so on trying much to come money up with some still. of the pricing yeah is because most people with high deductible insurances could have this done cash pay and not have had to go through the household pre-cert pre-approval mm. off it not getting off having to appeal it the procedure gets being put back and when you do it at a hospital you know what they won't let you do with it anything else and they'll mm -hmm. only let you do one knee at a time mm -hmm. because the probe's only reimbursable on one knee they won't let you do two but and you can't inject anything in the knee while you do it let's let's take it back a little right. bit let's let's and so let's unfortunately you have to go to sleep yeah. <laughs> you have to go to sleep unfortunately right. and therefore well or fortunately a, because i think that when yeah, people well, wake up course. on propofol they go to sleep with the painful yeah, but knee it's still for 10 minutes they wake up in the recovery room, yeah. they feel genuinely better. We don't use mm -hmm. a lot of narcotics in, in our clinic unless they're needed, but, but propofol as an IV anesthetic mm -hmm. is a great drug. And what's published on propofol is it's like taking an eight hour nap, mm -hmm. right? Like you feel, I mean, most of the people that, that we do REM this to, sleep is great. Yeah. <laughs> most, yeah. Most of the people that we do this to wake up and go to lunch. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, we took my, when we did this to my mom, which was life changing, um, because she would have never let me replace her knee because I replaced one of my dad's knees 20 years ago when he was pretty healthy and he did great. Um, but it's so good that he put off the other knee because he thought, look, I'm, I'm do so much better with one good knee. I'm just going to do this for a while. Um, 20 years later, he needs a, a knee on the other side and he's not in the same health as he was when I took care of him. And, um, I set him up with the, the guys in, they live out of state and I'm set up up there where his cardiologist is at the university hospital and he had a stroke, got an infection and was never the same and passed away within the next two years because of, of what that procedure did to him. So after my mom taking care of, you know, my dad at home by herself 
for two to three years, she was never, ever, ever going to have a total knee. And well, yeah, um, after watching that, how, yeah, how could I, you go, Hey, this I, sounds like a, hey, great this is idea. a great idea. I want to yeah. do, I want to just jump. I want to go in through what right. my, yeah, exactly. I want to go through what I had to take care of my husband through that, that yeah. she'd been married to for 50 years. That's understandable. I think a so, lot of people that resonates with them. Yeah. So she didn't want to do it. So I'm stuck with, she goes, well, you can just put cells in it. And I'm like, okay, mom, like you're bone on bone. You can't stand up. Can you we, see him arguing with mom? Not really, right? No. I, I, I I it's that that like watching me argue with my kids. That was, seen, that's probably the that. shortest conversation you've ever yeah. had yeah. with your mom. Yeah. Was, okay. I can't even, yeah. I can't even shortest argue Shortest argument you've ever had, actually, yeah, probably. I, I, I don't even really argue. I actually never argued with my mom. I did what she told me to do. Yeah, exactly. Because I was yeah, a good boy. Uh, yeah. Gold star. <laughs> I got a gold star from my mom, but she kind of snickered at my when I was mischievous. Like I, My mom was a was amazing, amazing, amazing person. Um, but 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 none of, no one in this room's ever seen me win an argument with my ten year old, and for sure not winning an argument with the twenty six year old attorney that I raised, um, <laughs> and try. the medical the the, the soon to be medical student that I that I raised is already convinced she knows more than me, um, so I you know I don't win arguments, but with my mom I so we so I go on the search for a procedure, so we find ablation therapy, because my goal was I need to make it where my mom didn't hurt. Like, like, I don't care. Her x-rays are bone on bone, but now she's getting crept in it. Now she's getting to the point where, and this is what happens when someone needs total knee, you're putting a, you're doing a really big surgery on someone that's not metabolically or mechanically really fit anymore because they've hurt long enough that it's hard to get up and down out of a chair. It's, um, difficult to even sleep and get an appropriate amount of rest. If you can't hardly even get up and down on a chair and you can't walk without pain and discomfort, it's extremely difficult to stay in shape. And so you're putting a total knee in someone after years of that, and they think they're going to get better right away. Well, you're not. You're, you're some, you're, your joint's going to look prettier on x-ray that day. For sure. I made an ugly joint look really pretty. That's the surgeon's goal. The patient's goal is to be able to get up and down from a chair, walk, and be able to do stuff. It's and, not hurt so much. Yeah. Where you're, you're inhibited. Yeah, and, and we've and we've challenged someone with the length of time this has gone on. So they're they're not as strong, they're weaker, and they're not as fit. Not a lot of nineteen year olds with great core come in and say, Hey, I need a total knee, right? Yeah. So in a long story, but we we find ablation therapy, we bring my mom in. I, I do inject her knees with cells, but I didn't figure it was worth putting her asleep to just do that. So we put her asleep, do the ablation on both of her knees, and as she and she as she walks out of the clinic she comes back in to get my nurses who have all adored my mom my mom was like a mascot of a clinic um she comes and gets the staff she goes come here come here, come here. and she makes them go outside and my, she makes people watch how that she can get up and down off the curb by herself okay first of all i'm almost i'm literally heartbroken because i can't believe my mom waited till she couldn't get up and down off a curb by herself to let me even take care of her. So heartbreaking that, that she didn't feel like she had any options for that. But the fact that then she's getting up a curb by herself and was so excited about it immediately after the procedure. It wasn't one of those procedures that we have to get her back in shape. We have to do all the pain management. We have to get her through that. She's going to be in the hospital. It was literally, we went to lunch, right? And so with that being one of our first experiences with a device, I think now, um, our original plan with the device was if you do it to what's published is if you do a ablation on a patient a month before they do a total knee, they use 50% less pain medicine 
over the next two years to get through the total. And 50% less pain medicine in someone that's, you know, on average total knee in this country is done at 65. 50% less pain medicine means, now I think it's actually under 60 now, but 50% less medicine means a lot less liver dysfunction, a lot less renal dysfunction, a lot less mental issues, a lot less other medicines to treat the secondary constipation, depression, um, sleeplessness that comes with the narcotics, right? So you're, you're not helping someone avoid taking a pain pill. You're helping them avoid like two handfuls of medicines and a dramatic surgical risk. You're fixing the whole chain. You're fixing, you're, you're trying to take care of someone metabolically, physically, get them active, get them where they can walk. And, and avoid liver and, and kidney failure. So we initially, our, our, our use with the device was before total knee. In our clinic, where we're not afraid to take maybe a non-traditional approach, what happened very quickly is patients would come in after that procedure to book their total, and I'd be looking at him, talking to him, hey, you know, Dr. McKenna, and the patient would be like, oh, kind of sheepish, maybe not making eye contact. And I would finally say, what's up you know something wrong did, did it work and they go yeah i feel great but do i have to have a total knee and my answer is always no of course right? not. you only have a total knee if what nothing else helped you can't do daily activity you're having to take narcotics you can't even sleep at night you have pain at rest those that's a patient needs a total knee and they're like well i'm none of that now like i have hay to bring in like can we just let me get through hay season and maybe do it after that i'm like look hey i got a better idea you know, when you were asleep and I did your ablation, we put cells in your knee. Those cells aren't even growing cartilage for the first six, eight weeks. Most of the cartilage growth happens between about week six and week 16. You're nowhere near as good as you're going to get from that injection until week 20, 24 anyway. Let's, let's see what happens first. And like, well, I don't want to wait till after this wears off to have my total and then I'll hurt more. I said, mm, you can repeat this. Like if this makes two years of difference, and you're doing everything you want to do. You're hauling your own hay. You're playing golf for Dr. Stanton. All he wanted to do is play golf twice a week. And, and, and he got to the point where it was more and more difficult to do that. And so when we did his ablation, there's zero chance he was going to do a total knee. I mean, he, that's four years ago. It, he still hasn't. We haven't, you know, to this point, we haven't repeated one. No. Um, what we tell people is it lasts about two years and you can repeat it. But... We saw a repeated one in the clinic, and we've done more than anyone probably in North Texas for sure, right? I think it's safe to say this is, and I know you shouldn't say this as a, as a physician, but it, it's one of your favorite procedures to perform. And I think part of that, from from our perspective, right, watching in the clinic, is this is one of the few procedures that you can actually see instantaneous results. As soon yeah. as the patient wakes up, you know, a lot of times, and, and you've talked about cells, right? It takes six to eight weeks and, and you've got a patient that they hurt coming in. You're going to do something, whether it's a shoulder or another procedure. And then on their way out the door, you're going, man, I, I hope they can just get moving enough yeah. to let the cells do what they're supposed to do. Yeah. But with this procedure, you know, well, you've you talked never about know what it. someone's reaction to cells are exactly. either, right? I mean, you have to be metabolically sound. Now, you know, it's never going to hurt someone and it's always going to make them better. Right. Is it better enough is always the issue. Yeah, and you've gone as far as to call this cheating, which I, I oh, think we need to define sure. that, right? Yeah, but I love, I love any hell, any little, and, and I know sometimes I hate the word hack, but I really love the the mentality behind it, right? Like if mm -hmm. you find a better, easier way to do something, I love that. Like anytime someone gives me a lifestyle hack, even though uh, that's like one of your lessons, there is you're always going to have an easy option. But in this case, yeah, it's a good choice. So, so some, sometimes, <laughs> so how is it cheating? Right? Let, well, let's so dive here's, into here's, that. Here's what, you know, without saying, here's the cool part. But here's here's a really cool part. Um, when we have people fly in for a procedure, 
And Hannah's trying to coordinate their flight and their hotel and help them with the timing on the visit and the MRI. And the when, when they get to the airport after the procedure, they're still in pain if they came in for cells because those cells, are, you're not as good as you get from that procedure for four to six months. But when they come in with a bad knee and they're on a walker and literally we've had people wheeled into the clinic to the procedure room and walk out. Right. And so when they come in for just cell procedures or for surgery, like there are people fly in, we'll do a knee scope, clean up. They have some big loose piece getting caught. I don't just want to waste their money, putting a bunch of cells in their knee while they have a big loose chunk. So we'll stick a scope, take care of the loose piece, trim up the tear, get rid of whatever's causing their mechanical symptoms. And we'll might bring it up in a minute, but we'll do that and then use the cells. But when they're not, they're not any better when they get to the airport than they were when they got to us yet symptomatically. They're just not limited by pain. They're just, they're, they're not. So we want them to get better, but they're still hurting when they leave. Now, when someone flies in for the same thing, but we add ablation to it in the clinic, they're on the airplane and whoever sits next to them is going to hear about us, right? Because what happens is you're better you're not as good as you're going to get with that procedure for you know up to six weeks. The nerve can continue to spread and die a little bit, um, but you're you're usually better immediately. And one of my favorite people in the world, and I don't know, won't mention his name, maybe, but he ran for senate, and I'm a huge fan. He's he's a conservative guy with amazing values and work ethic, and one of the most amazing athletes in the history of many sports. Actually, um, his family um beautiful woman in her 80s mm -hmm. yeah roughly yeah yeah um was coming back in a wheelchair uh, has to use a walker to get up into bed and and she's old enough to where it's okay for her to you know be cute talk about oh you're such a cute dog and, and so i said look and she's holding my hand she goes is this gonna work i was like look here's what i'm gonna tell you right now and I don't say this, but I said, I know how much it hurt to walk back here, but I will tell you that it's not going to hurt that much for you to walk. So you're, you came back in a wheelchair, you're going to be putting weight on your knee. And her goal was, you know, cause within the last couple of years, she was walking three miles a day. She goes, my goal is just to be able to walk my dogs at three miles a day. I said, here's what I, I don't know if I, what, what that's going to look like, but I will tell you that the walk from the parking lot to this clinic. The walk to lunch is never going to hurt for the next few years with this procedure like it hurt before you're going to sleep. Like you're going to wake up and be able to walk out better. And you can't say that with anything else we've ever done. You can't say yeah. that with a total knee. You can't say that with a knee scope. You can't say that with just um, a, a, an injection of how you're on or steroids or even an injection of the cells because that's not how it works. They take a while to change the environment of the joint, right? So you're buying time. You're, you're just... you're we're trying to make you less bad with those other procedures, but it takes a while to get as good as you're going to get from them, but not with an ablation. With an ablation, are you as good as you get when you first wake up? No. Are you dramatically better than when you went to sleep? For the first time ever? Absolutely. Right. Like, I will never tell that about a traditional surgical procedure because you could have some swelling, you could have bleeding, you could develop a clot. You know, you, there, there's all kinds of things that can happen after surgery. We do everything we can to manage those complications. We do a lot of surgery still through our clinic, but 
to have a procedure in your tool belt that can just make people not hurt is really fun. And there's a lot of people that don't even know about it. And so when we do an ablation on someone in the clinic, there's a lot of education process that because the first question is, is it going to make me protect my pain so mad that I could really, really mess up my knee? Your knee's already messed up. Like, no, I just want you not hurt, right? And, and so, well, what if I tear something or break? Look, it's not going to protect you from the pain of a fracture. If you fall off the tractor and twist your knee wrong and break your tibial plateau, that ablation isn't going to protect you from that. No. The ablation protects you from arthritic pain, early bony collapse. And what it does for us is it gives us a chance for the cells to make a big enough difference that by the time that ablation wears off, maybe you don't need it done again. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and for us, that's what we've seen and, and we've done a ton. Um, so for me, even just bad lateral patellofemoral pain, like we have a doctor that we all love that has a wife that has extremely bad patellofemoral disease got to where she couldn't do her Pilates. And that was her stress relief. And, 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 and she needs it because she's married to a doctor. Um, so the, but she had dramatic lateral patellofemoral joint and, and I scoped her knee for the first time 25 years ago and I scoped it again, maybe 15 years ago because she accumulates a lot of debris and it'll start locking up. She came back and thinks she's going to need another scope, but it's just really isolated, but fairly severe arthritis. So instead of talking about lateral release or patellofemoral resurfacing, which is what we had talked to someday she was going to need. We just ablated the patella. She's done great, right? It took 10 minutes. She didn't have surgery. We put cells in her, but like I didn't scope her. Uh, they put her asleep, do the ablation, fill her knee with cells. That was six, eight months ago. And she's in Pilates. She's doing well. She's dropping a lot of weight. I mean, she, she's getting back in shape. She looks great. Just and moving around a Just alone. being able to have access yes. to movement without pain, right? Like that's what this is really about. And, mm -hmm. and this procedure to not, to not be mainstream and first line of defense for someone. I, I, have, I have a patient now that I think needs, he's had three or four arthroscopies, a big failed ACL surgery. He's a college athlete. He's uh, in, in the medical industry now. And we, I think that the way he wants to approach it, because he's flying it out, is he wants to go ahead and do the ablation because he's having a lot of pain. But he still has a lot of locking because he's got an unstable, a lot of debris. But he wants to get the ablation done as quick as possible because he didn't have time for the scope yet. And he's like, do I need to wait till after the scope? All I could think when we saw him this last week was, oh my God, if we ablate you before I scope you, how cool is that going to be if you can do a knee scope on someone with almost no pain and recovery time because they were ablated already? Because that's what happens with the total, mm -hmm. right? The patient that comes in, it's all sheepish about not wanting the total. I told him, I said, look, if you do the ablation, you may not be symptomatic enough to even have the scope. And he's like, but he, I mean, his knee's cogwheeling, locking up. He has a lot of mechanical symptoms. So that's probably not going to happen because the ablation and cells are not going to get rid of the big mechanical symptom. So he knows he still probably needs a scope, but he needs some pain control to get him through the summer because he's really busy. So we're going to ablate him. He's going to do great. And then when we scope him, I can't wait to see, because we've never ablated anyone before knee arthroscopy. We have ablated a lot of people before totals. And uh, we've invited a lot of people that decided not to have the total. But I think that, um, and for the most part, we do ablation as a standalone thing. Like we're, there's no other plan. It's like your knee's really severe. If this didn't make a big enough difference, you, you need a total knee, but that you're at the end of the rope. That's all I got left for you. 
oh, except for this, right? And so I could, what I'm kind of looking forward to is seeing if we ablate him, how, easy, how much easier does it make for him to get through a knee scope that is dictated on not just some little 19-year-old with a tear, but a, a guy in his 50s that works 100 hours a week, that's flying three days a week. Does this make him, like, what does it do with his return to work after knee arthroscopy? What kind of pain and swelling is he having afterwards? Like, I, I'm, I'm curious how that I, I can't, I can't yeah, wait to see how it goes, I mean, right? We'll because for time. the most part, we, we don't do this as a staged procedure before scope ever. Now, it would be really cool to maybe do it before some big leg of ministry construction, right? But I'm kind of looking forward to see how much pain relief do you get? I mean, his big, you know what's going to happen. You're going to do the ablation. He's We're going to do the ablation. The mechanical He's going to live with the mechanical symptoms like yeah, he has been for the last 10 years. That's exactly what's going that's that's, exactly that's, to happen. probably which, why like, it hasn't been done up which, to this which, point, which, right? which is, I'll tell you what, which is, which is great, right? That's probably the reason we haven't done an ablation for a scope. Because even if I tell people, hey, we can take care of your pain, but if you're still locking up, we still need to scope you. I, I guarantee you what happened is that person is the same. It's like me and like you, like you. There, if you take care of the pain part and I can go back to work, dude, peace. Like, uh, I'll see you when I see you, right? So I know that's what probably is going to happen. Yeah. We're, we're going to make him better and he's not going to have enough pain to pay attention to the mechanical symptoms and he's just going to continue to stroll on down the road until that starts to wear off and then he'll be like, okay, I have to get a scope. Or, and it's as unstable as the guy's knee is. He's gonna. Was, I mean, he literally has a handful of junk floating around his knee. Yeah. He's gonna. He's gonna have the ablation done. He's gonna do. He's gonna way go past through the summer. I think he scheduled a scope like sometime in September. He's gonna get into football season, and he's gonna be traveling to the games, and he's gonna end up waiting till after the holidays, probably. Probably. Or or not right so the one thing this procedure does that i tell people all the time is it puts you back in control of your situation and decision making it buys right? you time. yeah 100%. like if i if you're you know the reason people feel so stressed about having surgery is because they feel like they have no options and they feel like they have to if i make it where you don't hurt you're literally back in time of you know the people that are so stressed about they're, they're literally like clean their house really good, do their spring cleaning before they have surgery because they know they're not going to feel good for a few weeks. Like, and we have farmers and ranchers and business people. Man, I have to, I'm going to kill myself for the next two months at work because I know I'm going to have this surgery and I don't know how I'm going to feel come back. Yeah. What this procedure does for people is it puts them back in control of the decision making. You don't feel pushed into something by pain and disability. So by giving you control back, you still know how much you hurt. You still know if it's locking. You still know if you're unstable. You still know that you need something else done if you do. Maybe you don't, right? But it at least puts you back in control of, I don't feel pressured to do this now because I can't do anything unless I do that. Yeah. And I think for me, the empowerment of a patient on their healthcare and the decision-making based on, most bad decisions are made because you felt pressured or stressed to do it. And if someone's in a lot of pain, they're probably making not a great decision because they went out of pain. Yeah. I, I think that, uh, that may be the, the, the best part of the entire procedure is it just puts people kind of back in charge of their own decision-making. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So take, Hannah, take the power away from the disease and pain is what we're trying to do for people. And, and that's a, a it's such an easy procedure. The, the complication rate is that it might not work enough 
if it's done by the right person in the right way. I mean, you know, there's, there's complications with everything, even though we talk about zero downside because of my smart aleck friends. Um, sorry. Because, yeah, sorry. Like I, now, now yeah. every time I say it, it's like, well, ah, we right? try, we try. Um, but but this... when we say zero downside, we're not saying zero downside. We're saying as compared to everything else we do, there's a lot of easy ways to do some things that can make you better. Mm -hmm. And by easy, I don't mean, oh, let's just throw a dime at it. Right? We're not talking easy. We're talking way less invasive, mm -hmm. way simpler. It's not simpler like from the healthcare perspective. we've touched on before, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. not simpler. Yeah. It's just less invasive, and it doesn't sound that you're not going to have a blood clot. You're not going to have pneumonia. You're not going to have a heart attack. You're not going to have a stroke from having a 10-minute procedure. As always, the last thing we want to make sure everyone knows Thank you very much for trusting us to take care of your healthcare. We appreciate the love and trust of our patients and it is definitely reciprocated. And, and I think that the appreciation for your trust and, and involvement in your healthcare decision-making is really, really important to us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks everybody.